right, that's enough being friendly. <laughs> no, that's all right. That's all right. Well, welcome to the Hills Church, where we believe God has called us to follow Jesus, love our neighbors, and build an economically and racially diverse church. If you are a guest today, uh, hopefully you received a, a bulletin when you came in. On the bottom of that is a Connect card, and we would love to get to know you a little bit. And if you'll fill that out, you can drop it in the offering or take it to the Connect table uh, at the end of the service, and we have a small gift for you, and we'll also donate a uh, dollar to stop human trafficking on your behalf. So it's a, it's a win-win. Well, did, did anybody uh, have the winning ticket? No. <laughs> I, you know, I, I know it's... <laughs> what's that? So I'm, I'm part of a... Uh, you currently have it for the next one. Uh-huh. I'm part of a, a Facebook group of pastors, and one of the pastors posted, like, would you receive the tithe to the other pastors off the winnings uh, from the lottery, from the Mega Millions? And I was like, no, no. I'd receive the whole thing. <laughs> As a sin offering for gambling, no, I'm just the <laughs> but uh, if you do win this week, don't forget about us. Don't forget about it. If you have your Bibles, like that transition, uh, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8 is where we'll be this morning. It's page 764 in the Bible under your chair. And just to catch us up to speed, we've been going through the book of Acts, and, and currently in chapter 8, several years have passed since Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension. He had commissioned his disciples to go into all the world. He told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Several years have passed, they're still in Jerusalem. Uh, and then... In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is the first Christian martyr. So he, he gives his life, um, I wouldn't say willingly, he didn't really have a choice, uh, but his life was taken from him. And as a result of that, Christians began to be persecuted. And it was really like, stay in Jerusalem, stay close to Jerusalem, and be persecuted or move. And like, we'll move. Uh, so many of them moved, but they, they weren't quiet when they moved. They took Jesus with them wherever they went. And so from that, we see the gospel begins to spread. And, and so uh, Jesus use the, the persecution of the church to get them to do what he wanted them to do in the first place. And, and so Philip was one of those who was scattered. And we looked at last week that he went to Samaria, where there was a, a bitter ethnic rivalry between the Jews and, and Samaritans. Um, but he, he goes there and people begin to, to believe he's casting out demons, he's healing paralytics, and uh, there's great joy in this city. And so we pick up in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Today, Acts chapter 8, verse 9, it'll also be on the screen. It says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw the Spirit was given on, 
uh, was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter answered, May your money perish with you. One translation says, To hell with you and your money. Like, this is a strong statement. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord and hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Where to begin? Where, I mean, we could uh, talk sorcery, damnation, Holy Spirit, uh, sanctification. Um, I mean, and you might be surprised at the amount of disagreement among scholars when it comes to these verses and theologians. Like, what? What is happening here? What is God trying to say? And who is Simon? Who is this great power of God? What does that mean? And was he a true believer? Because it says, we read that Simon believed. And then a couple verses later, it says, your heart is not right before God. So how could you be a believer and your heart not be right before God? And then it says the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit after they had already believed. I thought we received the Holy Spirit when we believed. So lots of uh, disagreement when it comes to these, this passage. And, um, and when, it hap- when that happens, when we come to Scripture and we have lots of questions, or it raises lots of questions, I think we should pause for a moment, step back, and look at the big picture. Like, what, what is God trying to tell us through this passage? Like, what is happening here? What is so important in this story with the Samaritans that Luke included it in, in this letter that he wrote? Um, what is God trying to say to his church? How does it fit into the God's story? And, and if we'll do that, we may not always answer the questions correctly, but, and we might come to different conclusions on some of these verses, um, as scholars have. But it's important that we read and we study Scripture together, that we ask questions together and, um, and go from there. And, and so this morning, there's three things that stand out to me in this passage, and there were more but it was getting too long. All right, and everybody said amen? Amen. amen. All right. That was a little too loud, too enthusiastic of an amen. don't appreciate that. Um, but three things that stand out to me in this passage, that, like the reason this is included, the first is that it shows how the gospel spread beyond Jerusalem. We'll talk about that in a moment. And that we are not yet what we are going to be. And third, we all need an experience of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not even going to go into all these with, with equal time. But that first one is that this, this narrative shows how the gospel spread from Jerusalem, and it begins to make its way out as the disciples begin to obey the Great Commission. I mean, up to this point in God's story, it's been all about the children of Abraham. Right? God called Abraham, but even then it was God's intention, though it was starting with the people of Israel, to go from there to the ends of the earth. And, and when God called Abraham, he said, I'm, I'm going to bless you but you will bless the nations. I will bless the nations through you. So the intention was always that it wouldn't just be a mono-ethnic religion, but that it would go to the ends of the earth. And and here we see that for the first time. And and the story is important in in the overarching story of the people of God. Um, So it shows how the gospel spread. Second, it shows that we are not yet 
who we are going to be. So what, what did John and Peter do on their way back from Samaria? So in the story, they came to Samaria, they checked out what was going on, then they went back to Jerusalem, and what did they do? They preached in other Samaritan towns. And in verse 25, it says, After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So they're preaching the gospel in Samaria. Now, this is, this is astounding. Uh, they've come a long way in their attitudes towards Samaritans. Um, but this isn't the first time that Luke records what John thinks or how he interacts with Samaritans. If you remember, uh, the book of Acts is a, it's part of a two-volume work of Luke. You have the gospel of Luke was first, and then a follow-up was uh, Acts. And in the book of Luke, it tells about Jesus and his disciples. They were going to Jerusalem. And in order to get to Jerusalem, they had to go through Samaria. So in Luke chapter 9, it says that Jesus, he sent some of the disciples on ahead of him to get things ready in Samaria. Well, when they got to Samaria, they weren't welcome in Samaria. And so Jesus and the disciples get closer. And John uh, says at that point, so when they were rejected by the Samaritans, he says, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Like that was, that was John's attitude towards the Samaritans. Like they're, uh, they're not welcoming us. Should we call down fire from heaven, Jesus? Now, can, if, if you're Jesus and you're not, but if you were and I'm not, and, I, and I've got this group of followers with me, and I've got a guy in my group that has so much hatred in his heart. Like, I think we would have been like, John, it's been nice knowing you, <laughs> but this is not the type of group that I'm trying to bring together to start this movement, to take this good news to the ends of the earth when you're trying to call down fire from heaven. Uh, and I think it's possible to follow Jesus and still have some hatred in your heart. To like genuinely love and follow Jesus and have hatred in your heart. It's, it's possible to, to follow Jesus wholeheartedly and still have maybe some bitterness in your heart. It's possible to follow Jesus and have some, some, uh, some problems with your self-image, like in who you are. It's possible to follow Jesus and, and not just to have issues. It's possible. And it, what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't cast us out because of that. And, and when we come to Jesus, it's not like he's going to automatically change all of our thinking and, and all of our ideas about God are going to be right and all of our ideas about our neighbors are going to be right. But eventually, like it's, it's a process. It's a process. And so for John, he went from, let's call down fire from heaven to telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus was, was working in his life, and, and it gives me hope for me. Like, Jesus is not done with me. I am not yet who I'm going to be. Amen? Amen? That's a good place for it. Amen. Yeah, right there. I like that. Um, and so, I mean, John was extremely off base in his racial ideas and his prejudices. But now he knows and he understands that Jews and Samaritans were to be uh, welcomed into the Christian community without distinction. There is one body because there is one spirit, and we are not yet who we are going to be. And then in verse 9, we're introduced to this guy, Simon. Now, has anyone, anyone uh, ever seen David Blaine? You know David Blaine? Some of you are like, yeah. So David Blaine is a magician. And if you Google David Blaine uh, Tonight Show, uh, when we're finished, okay, I'll be watching. 
like whenever he does his, his magic tricks, like people run away because it's, it's a little freaky. Like it's a little scary. He, he once um, stayed in a clear box hanging above London for 44 days with nothing but about a gallon and a half of water a day. 44 days. Like he does these extreme stunts, no food. Um, he spent three days locked in a block of ice with, with nothing. Like just crazy stuff where you can imagine if David Blaine was back here in Samaria, like they might think the great power of God. So I don't, I'm not sure if Simon, if he's just trickery or if he actually has some type of access uh, to the paranormal. Uh, some, if you uh, watch Stranger Things, like the Upside Down. Like he, but it seems like whatever was happening, he had people's attention, right? Um, so Philip comes along, and he's preaching Jesus, and he's doing miracles. And Simon, the great wonder worker, is astonished at what Philip is doing in the name of Jesus. And he... Philip comes to believe Jesus is what, our, uh, what the scripture said. And then, not just Philip, but other Samaritans as well, they believe, uh, they believe the story. And this report gets back to the apostles in Jerusalem. And so Peter and John come to investigate. And we're not told why they come to investigate. Maybe they're a little bit skeptical. Who, who believed? The Samaritans. Or maybe they want to come and give their blessing. Uh, but when they come, um, this... Like I mentioned before, this is a, a, just a monumental step in the advancement of the gospel, the first non-Jews to believe. And then we uh, read again in verse 15. So John and, and Peter arrive, and when they arrive, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And so this brings me uh, to my last thought for the, today which is much longer than the other thoughts, just preparing yourself, is that we all need an experience of the Holy Spirit. We all need an experience. Whether you're a seasoned believer, you've been following Jesus for a long time, or whether you're new to the faith, I think oftentimes we, we try to live this thing out on our own, like without the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and so then when, when something happens and we're discouraged, like we just try to work up our own strength, uh, we try to manipulate the situation uh, when really what we need is the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We need an experience of the Holy Spirit. Um, or maybe you're new to the faith and you don't really know much about the Holy Spirit. And you, you don't know um, that he is available for you. He's, he's just unknown. And, and so one of the controversies in, this verses, in these verses is that it seems to be saying that these believers did not have the Holy Spirit before Peter and John came. Um, and that's a problem because in other places in the scriptures, it makes it clear that you are not a believer if the Holy Spirit is not dwelling in you. Um, so we're going to just take a moment to look at some verses here and, and compare. Um, and, and what I, I mean by that is, um, like at the, at the moment of belief, at that moment where we are born again, or, or another theological word is regenerated, uh, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within us. And scholars across the board uh, believe that. Like whether, from every tradition, like the only way you come to Jesus, the Spirit of God is at work in your life. Uh, so that, there is agreement there. Um, now, after Jesus' resurrection, he's with his disciples. And in John chapter 20, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, and then in Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul in a letter would say, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. And so when, when we put our faith in Jesus, the spirit of God comes to dwell inside of us, which that's, a, that's pretty crazy just to stop and think about the spirit of God coming to indwell us as, as believers. Um, and that's, that's what we believe. That's what scripture teaches. So the question then is, didn't the Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit when they believed? Either yes or no. <laughs> that's the answer. You don't have to, that's kind of a rhetorical question. Uh, I believe so. So this must be something different. And uh, there is an experience of the Holy Spirit to be sought and enjoyed after conversion that is different from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which starts when we first believe. Now, stay with me for a moment. Um, there is an experience of the Holy Spirit to be sought and enjoyed after conversion that is different from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which starts when we first believe. And I, uh, not all traditions, Christian traditions, hold to that belief. In fact, you might be thinking, Matthew, that sounds a little Pentecostal to me. Well, it is a little Pentecostal, but it's not just Pentecostals. Who believe there's been many uh, many theologians who would say uh, some guys like uh, A.J. Gordon, R.A. Torrey, Dwight Moody, Charles Finney, who believe that uh, there was there was uh, a deeper work of the Spirit after conversion. Sometimes it was right at that moment, but but sometimes it was it was later, another moment. And if the Samaritans are already believers, and yet they have an experience of the Holy Spirit after that. And in verse 15 says, Peter and John came down from Jerusalem and prayed that they might receive the Spirit um, because the Spirit had not yet fallen on them. So something tangible happened when Peter and John laid their hands on them. And we know this because uh, Simon saw something. It doesn't say what, what happened. Um, but in verse 18, it says, Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of apostles' hands. He offered them money saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay hands may also receive the Holy Spirit. So he saw, that's an objective like, thing. He saw something happen, and um, he didn't just like, feel something was going on, and uh, we're not told what, what he saw. We're just told that he saw and that the Spirit was giving when they laid on, given when they laid uh, hands on them. And, and if all he saw was like they, the believers got a bigger smile, like, I don't think he would have sold his soul. Like, how can I buy that? And he had seen miracles. He had seen healings. And he hadn't, um, he hadn't tried to buy that gift from the apostles. So something extraordinary must have happened when they laid their hands on them and when they received the Holy Spirit to make him want to buy that gift. So, whether, so I understand that, not every, again, everybody comes from the same tradition. But is everybody following my logic so far, like how I'm, I've gotten to this point? Something happened um, that, he, that he wanted to, to buy this gift. So there are some object, objections to this. And the first one is that not everyone agrees that the Samaritans were true believers before this. Uh, some, some would say, well, no, they weren't true believers, and it wasn't until the disciples came and laid hands on them that they actually became believers, because that's when the Holy Spirit um, came, came upon them. So I'm just going to give you uh, two, like some clues we think they were believers and then some clues why we think they, they were not believers. And so here's just some reasons why we think they were believers. In verse 6, 
uh, going back, we read this last week. It says they all paid close attention to what he said. Now, there's not much there. But later on, uh, Paul is, is talking to a lady, Lydia, and it says that the Lord opens her heart uh, to pay attention. So, like, when someone's paying attention to the gospel, the, the Spirit of God is working, doing something in their life. And verse 8 says they were experiencing much joy. In a few verses, uh, next week, uh, Kellen's going to be preaching on the Ethiopian eunuch. And there was much joy after he came to know Jesus. In verse 12, it says they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. And then verse 16, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Um, And this is important. Later uh, in Acts chapter 19, another setting, another city, Paul comes to them. And some people had been baptized, but they're re-baptized in the name of Jesus because they had only been baptized in the name of John. John the Baptist. And so they're baptized in the, in the name of Jesus. Um, and then, and this one's a bonus. I thought of this one this morning. And I didn't get in the notes on the screen. All right. Verse 17, it says, when they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now, nowhere else do we think you have to lay hands on someone for them to be saved. Right? Or like across the board, you, you come to faith. There's no one else has to mediate that for you. Jesus saves us. And so uh, this laying on of hands, it can't be for salvation. And um, so this is all suggests that these Samaritans were true believers. Um, and this is the view of, of guys like John Calvin, Matthew Henry. Um, so some clues that they were not believers. Some clues that they were not believers. They were so weak, I didn't even want to put them on the screen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, uh, so again, reading different commentaries, just about everybody uh, would say they were, were believers. That's not where the, the objection comes in. The objection comes in in that what happened to them. Um, so the second objection is that some would say these events aren't normal. These events aren't normal. What happened here was... Um, a Samaritan Pentecost, showing, God showing that he was pouring out his spirit on the Samaritans, and from that, uh, that it was available for, for non-Jews, from henceforth, from then. Um, and that, there are quite a few uh, scholars that would, would take that position. Um, and they would say that by them, by the, uh, the spirit coming out, the laying on the hands of the apostles, that it shows this unity of the church between the Samaritans and Jews. And I would counter that with, it shows that whether or not um, they had been believers before or not. Like, whatever happened there, this shows that uh, there is a one, one church. So what are we to make of all this? Like, it can get, get confusing. Were they believers? Were they not? Is when I come to Jesus, I'm, the Spirit comes in me, but then you're, Matthew, now you're saying there's, there's, something, there's something else. And, um, and what I'd like to do, just for the last bit of time remaining, is, is come at this from a bit of a different angle. And that, um, what, what theologians would call, we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like, does that happen at the moment of salvation, or is, there, or is, is it subsequent to uh, salvation? And everywhere the receiving of the Holy Spirit is described in the book of Acts, it is experiential. It is experiential. Like there is something that happens that identifies this coming of the Holy Spirit on people's lives. It has effects that are clearly discernible. Um, and it's an experience that you can point to. In Acts chapter 19, we'll get there next year, I'm sure. Um, 
But the situation is that Paul comes to Ephesus and something's not quite right there. And he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And now that's a remarkable question, a remarkable question, especially for uh, American Christians who we've been taught in, in a lot of circles, a lot of traditions, that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit when you believe. But here is Paul asking, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? Now, if, if you received, without a doubt, this fullness of the Spirit at, when you believed, why would Paul ask that question? He could have just asked, did you believe? Because if you believed, you would have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if, if that's what Paul believed. But it seems like Paul's question uh, is different. He's asking, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And that, um, so this, this idea runs all the way through the book of Acts. All the explicit descriptions of receiving the Spirit are experiential. And uh, so this brings another question. So Matthew, what's the difference between being filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit? Um, and Luke, he, he doesn't stick with one, one terminology through the book of Acts. And I'll just show this through you in, in Acts chapter 1. When Jesus is, is talking about the coming of the Spirit, he says, um, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then a few verses later, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then when it actually happens, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says that they were filled with the Spirit. So Luke had said, or Jesus said, you're going to be baptized with the Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, it says that they were filled with the Spirit. So we've got these terms. And then when Peter gets up to preach about what happens, when he looks back, um, he says, this is available for you, your children's children, for all who are far off, this gift of the Holy Spirit. So Luke Luke's not really concerned about this term. Like something, uh, he calls it baptized, come upon, filled, poured out, gift of the Spirit. And, and throughout the book of Acts, when the gospel moves, when salvation comes, the Holy Spirit comes. Like there's just a, a natural progression there. And, and Luke expects a real identifiable experience of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so here's, here's kind of the point, is that whether Luke expects all this to happen right at the moment of salvation, or, or uh, shortly after salvation, or one baptism, many fillings, fillings of the Holy Spirit, one thing is clear, that Luke expects the receiving of the Holy Spirit to be a real, identifiable experience of the living God, not just a, a logical inference, because I've come to Jesus. Um, and as we look to the, the book of Acts, there is no promise that um, everyone who receives the Spirit will speak in tongues or prophesy. But there is a promise that when the Spirit comes upon us, we will receive power, power to evangelize the world. And this, isn't, and this promise is for everyone. It's not just for a few. And we've been talking about this movement we're seeing through the book of Acts, how it's not just a few uh, educated, seminary-trained people leading this movement. It's everybody involved in this move of God because they are all Every time the Spirit comes, they are all filled. They are all baptized with the Holy Spirit. And there's this incredible power behind the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, um, and it's, anyone remember the, uh, the game Pac-Man? Miss Pac-Man? Um, so there's this little guy, yellow guy. 
goes across the screen, waka, 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 you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and he, uh, he has to get all the little dots, right? And, uh, we, but every once in a while, he gets, I think they're called power bullets, pellets. <laughs> and what happens? Like, the, the game changes. No longer is he running from the ghost, is he scared, but turns and is on the offensive and, like, going and doing battle, and there was no stopping uh, Miss Pac-Man, Pac-Man. And when we are, that's uh, probably a terrible example of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like we, we are on the offensive. The Spirit of God has come to be with us, to give us His power for witness and for life. And um, in, any, in the book of Acts, what that power looks like is speaking in tongues, prophesying, freely, freely praising the great things of God, boldness for power to witness, obedience to God, courage in the face of persecution, miracles, signs, and wonders. And, and I realized for some who are part of the hills, like this is, this is a different teaching than you grew up with or that you're comfortable with. And, and my, my concern today is not to persuade you to see it the way I see it. My concern as a pastor is that we would all be filled with the Spirit of God. That is, that is my concern, and that is my desire for you. And, um, and it's my intention in my own life. Like when I was going through the book of Acts, every week it's convicting to me. Like when I, I look at my life, when I look at their life, and like it just doesn't quite, I don't have that boldness, I don't have that courage. I mean, it's easy for me to get up in here and then bold and like, oh, Matthew, he's courageous. But we're all together amongst friends, and you would hope the preacher would be courageous when he's preaching. But day to day, like what's happening in my life and what it, and so even, even for myself, like making myself, um, more available to the Spirit, and I want to stir a hunger in you for more of God. And, and even if your prayer today would be, Jesus, I don't understand, but I want all that you have for me. Like, I don't understand, but I want all that you have for me. I need the power of God in my life. I need the power of God in my family. I, I need the power of God to give me this boldness to live this faith out. I need the Spirit of God in my life. And, and that would be my prayer for your prayer. So this isn't something just for a, a select few Christians or, or pastors or, or people who um, have walked with Jesus for a while. I mean, in this case, it may have been a day. Like, they came to Jesus. Next day, Holy Spirit. That was, that was how it happened. Um, so my question for us today, and Najee, will you come? Are you ready to? It's like Paul asked the, the believers in Ephesus, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, um, and and not not in a like that moment of salvation type way. Like when we believe, we are indwelled with the Spirit of God. There is no coming to Jesus without the Spirit of God. But there is there is something when we look at the Book of Acts, something tangible that is is available. And so, would you just take a moment to think um, on your own life? And we're going to take communion, and and as we take communion. We, we have a good amount of people today, but there are going to be a few people in, in the back that will be praying. And if you, whether, it, and maybe you say, you know, Matthew, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I remember God did something in my life. The Holy Spirit and, and I were, we were like this, and it's been a while, and I need God's Spirit. Again, I need that fresh empowering, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And if, as we take communion, 
I'm going to invite you as you uh, return to your, you can come back to your seats and pray and say, Spirit of God, come, fill me. I want all that you have for me. I, I want to live a powerful Christian life. And um, so you can do that at your seat, but we'll also have some people at the back available to pray as, as we go through uh, communion this morning. Najee's going to be um, leading us through some worship songs. So just, just open up your hearts to receive what, what Jesus has for you today.